Please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. The letter of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians living in the capital city of Ephesus. Paul wrote this while he was under house arrest in Rome, and he wrote it to lay a solid doctrinal foundation for these believers so they could then live out those doctrines for the glory of God. So know the truth, and then, of course, live out that truth. We're now at the end of the application section of this letter, and it's been very good, and it's been very challenging, and the call is to rise to the challenge for the glory of God because we love Him and because He alone is worthy. Recently, Paul's been imploring us to be Spirit-filled Christians who do the will of God as found in the Word of God. This is seen in many practical ways, and it should radically affect how we live out our faith on a daily basis, knowing that God is watching. Back in verse 10, if you remember, Paul showed us that we in Christ are in a spiritual battle, and the call is to stand strong, to dig in and to hold your ground to be immovable and steadfast in the face of a relentless and ruthless foe, to put on the full spiritual armor of God every single day and to wage a good warfare against the devil, our wily, ruthless, wicked, powerful, and hateful enemy. After that, Paul showed us what our spiritual armor is that we are to put on every day, or better yet, that we're to put on and to never take off. The picture here is of a fully armored Roman soldier. And Paul uses this physical picture to show us the spiritual reality. Paul focuses on six indispensable items for any successful soldier. The belt, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, and the sword. And then after that, which we're going to look at today, Paul added a seventh non-clothing item, prayer, which completes the full outfit for any spiritual soldier. So, Paul began with the belt of truth, which isn't so much the content of truth, but the commitment to that truth. So you know the truth, you believe the truth, you love the truth that's found in the Word of God, so you're truly saved, and you now are ready to fight for the truth. That's the idea here. It speaks of sincerity, dedication, readiness, conviction, commitment, and preparedness. You're all in, see. You're all in. You're not indifferent. You're not divided. You're not half-hearted. No, you're all in because you know and believe the truth, and and that then compels us forward. Next comes a breastplate of righteousness. Now, I believe this speaks of both aspects of righteousness, the imputed righteousness of Christ that we received at salvation, and then the necessity for us to live the righteous and God-pleasing life more and more and more. So we put on the breastplate of the imputed righteousness of Christ as our defense against Satan's many accusations, knowing that Christ died for us and He loves us and He forgives us, even as we stumble and bumble along. Along with that, we're intent on pursuing Christ more and more and more because we love Him. So we're fighting sin and we're repenting much and we're seeking to obey and please our our Lord. Not perfectly, but passionately and that pursuit is a spiritual breastplate that protects us from the onslaught of the wicked one next is the feet that are shod with the gospel of peace how is that a piece of our armor here's the thought if god be for us then who can be against us right 
See, when Satan and life will try to knock you down and cause you to flee instead of stand strong, when worries and fears surround you, when you fall and you fail and you mess up big time and you begin to waver, well, that's when you put on your shoes and remember the gospel of peace. Remember the good news of Christ and what He did on the cross for all who believe for you. And and remember what that means. Remember God's great and unfathomable love for you because when you do that, it'll raise you above all those worries and it'll raise you above all those fears and it'll give you perspective that will allow you to continue fighting and to continue standing. Ah, because I have Christ, and because I've surrendered to Christ in repentant faith, and be, because I have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, I am now at eternal peace with God, and I have the amazing peace of God in my life, and that enables me to keep going, to keep enduring, and to keep continuing to fight. See how it works? Next is a shield of faith which speaks of you actively trusting God by living out your faith in faithfulness. So you're already saved by faith, and now we're called to live out our faith day by day by day, trusting Him, taking Him at His word, and living faithfully for His glory. Faith says, I trust the Lord. I'm not going to believe lies. I trust the Lord. I'm not going to be shaken by what's going on around me. No, I trust the Lord. So as Satan hurls his fiery arrows at you, faith is a shield against all those arrows of doubt and trials and fears and worries and temptations. I trust the Lord through it all. I believe in God and what God has told me. I know that He loves me. I know that He will never leave me nor forsake me. I know that He will keep all of His promises. I trust Him. See? And that's a shield that allows us to stand in this great battle that we are in. Look, you entrusted your soul into His care, so how about this? Entrust your daily life to Him as well. He has you, His child, His child that He died for to save. He, he loves you even when bad things happen to you. And He can indeed be trusted. Next is a helmet of salvation, which isn't talking about past salvation that happened when we were saved and when we first believed, but instead, it's talking about our future salvation. It's talking about the full culmination of our salvation as believers that we will indeed experience in glory. And look, it's a sure hope that armors us against the assault of the wicked one. See, this hope in Christ regarding the future, this hope steadies the soul. It steadies us in our walk of faith. And even though our life will still have its stresses and tragedies and hardships and pains and and trials and so on, look, For the believer whose hope is in the Lord and in what lies ahead, he won't be overcome. Because our hope is something that carries us through. See, we won't drift if we cling to Christ our hope. Hey, the future is bright for all of us in Christ, and that carries us through many hardships in this fading life. Next was the sword of the Spirit, or the sword given by the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is our weapon with which we can assault the wicked enemy of our souls. So I say, use that weapon, right? And use that weapon a lot. It's powerful, it's effective, it's living and active, it grows us, it revives us, it teaches us, it encourages us, it corrects us, and it makes us godly. And guess what? Satan hates it, so use it against him. How? Read it, know it, study it, ingest it, memorize it, live it out. 
Make it your one rule for your life. Cherish it, prize it, treasure it, and go to war. It's all very practical stuff. It's not easy, but it's not rocket science either. See, when you pursue Christ and fight sin and grow in the faith and keep your gaze on Him in the midst of a hard but good life and you're fervently taking in His Word day by day, head and heart and life, that's a spiritual warrior right there. That's a warrior. That's a soul that's standing firm. That's a soul that's battling well. That's a soul that's assaulting Satan. And that can be every single one of us here today. And my prayer is that in the spiritual realm, that this place is a stronghold for the Lord. Because spiritual warriors are gathered here. Right here. My prayer is that Satan hates this place because this is a place that stands against the devil. And this is a place with a slew of spiritual warriors who will not back down, not ever. That's, that's my prayer. And that leads us to the final piece of spiritual armor, prayer. Praying always with all prayer. Verses 18 through 20, let's look. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So that is what completes the spiritual armor, right? Prayer. This encompasses everything else. This is the all-pervasive element to our armor. It's our umbrella. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. In the book Pilgrim's Progress, the last piece of armor that Christian is given is the weapon of all prayer. That weapon was given to him because this is what will allow him to stand in good stead when everything else fails. See, with this weapon of all prayer, Christian is told that he will now be able to prevail against everyone who comes against him in the valley of the shadow of death. And look, when he pours out his soul in prayer, that is when he's the most formidable. In Luke 18, the Lord said uh, that people ought to always pray and not lose heart, no matter how difficult the challenge is, no matter how formidable the enemy is, and no matter how hard the victory seems. So you either pray or else you lose heart. So I say pray. Because you don't want to lose heart, you know. <laughs> pray. And prayer is to encompass our lives. It's to permeate everything that we do in Christ. What is prayer? Prayer is talking to God. But it's all so much more than that, right? The word for prayer here is, is the Greek word prosuke, which literally means to pray immediately before. Before what? Before the face of God himself. That's pretty serious stuff, isn't it? Well, prayer is serious. This particular word for prayer speaks of adoration, devotion, and worship to God. So yeah, it's very serious. I mean, it's a necessity for any spiritual warrior. It's a necessity for any Christian. See, prayer isn't just taking your laundry list of requests to God and then reciting them rotely. No. Prayer is communion with God. <clears throat> prayer is a way to worship God. It's very powerful and it pleases God. What a thought. Proverbs 15.8 says that, the prayer of the upright is his delight. And if our aim in life is to glorify God, which it is, then prayer should be a massive part of every Christian's life. I mean, it delights the one that we seek to delight. 
So the call is to pray always with all prayer and supplication. What supplication? Supplication speaks of making your needs known. It conveys the sense of an urgent request to meet that need. So here's the idea. We go before God with our needs and we humbly ask Him to meet that need in prayer. How good is that? God Almighty. That's who we get to present our requests to. It's a humble entreaty to the God who loves you. So clearly, God wants you to go to Him with all your needs. It's all about relationship. It's about love. And this is what God's beloved children do. Now, biblically, prayer is commanded. And biblically, prayer is very powerful. I mean, can we deny that God calls His people to prayer? It's found throughout the Bible, Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. And that means to do it now. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And the way we ask, seek, and knock is through prayer. Paul tells us to pray continually, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. And then Peter tells us to be serious and watchful in our prayers, 1 Peter 4.7. So throughout the Bible, it's very clear that God's people are not only called to pray, but they must pray. They must pray if they love the Lord. And, and God's people understand this. They know that if they want to be men and women of God, they have to pray, and the more the better. That said, <clears throat> prayer is also very powerful. See, when God's people pray, (coughs) amazing things happen. (laughs) It's true. Biblically, that's true. Yes, God is a sovereign God, but God sovereignly chooses to work through His children's prayers. And the Bible's very clear about that. Jesus Himself knew the importance of prayer, and in His humanity, prayer was something that He needed to do intensely and on a regular basis. Jesus is pictured in prayer no less than 25 times in the Gospels, and many of those times it was alone and all night. And if he prayed like that, what does that say to us today, who aren't God in human flesh? See, in Daniel 9, Daniel's praying. He's presenting his supplication before the Lord. And it's then that the angel Gabriel appeared to him and said, verse 23, at the beginning of your supplication, your prayer, the command went out. How good is that? You prayed, the command went out. In chapter 10, verse 12, it says this. Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your Lord. Your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. So clearly, prayer is powerful, right? And again, God works sovereignly through the prayers of His people. As James 5, 26 says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So, Prayer is essential for a growing spiritual life, and it's to encompass the life of any serious Christian who wants to stand strong against our enemy. See, if if we want a life that can be used mightily for God and for the glory of God, we must pray. If we want to thrive in Christ as Christians and as a church, then we must pray. If we want to truly redeem the time that we have left, and time is precious, we must pray. Prayer must encompass us. It must permeate us. It must always surround us, praying always with all prayer. Andrew Murray said that prayer is the pulse of the Christian life. And the question is, how's your pulse? (laughs) Is your pulse beating strong today? Remember from Acts 2 how the Acts 2 church was a praying church? Well, they're a model for us, and 
we do well to pray more as individuals and as a church. Acts 2.42. They were continually devoting themselves to prayers. Clearly, prayer is supposed to be a central focus of every true Christian and of every true church. This place should be a house of prayer. And prayer should be woven into the fabric of church life. You can't pray enough, right? And good Christians and good churches pray much. Look, prayer with supplication is an expression of dependence. And when the people of God really feel their need, you will then find them praying much, and you'll find them praying much for each other. And boy, do we have needs here. Anybody? I mean, come on. We have needs here. We have people struggling. We have people suffering. We have souls that are dying and going to hell all around us. We have tons of ministry to do and not much time left to do it in. We have children who are straying. We have marriages that are struggling. We have souls in this body that are messing around with sin. We have cancer issues and health issues and mental issues and spiritual issues to pray earnestly about as a church family. I mean, should we ever stop praying in light of all these needs? Right? And woe to us if we aren't praying a lot for all these things. Everyone here has needs. Everyone. We need to be praying. Woe to us if we aren't. Look, we fail in these things and in our standing and in our fighting if we're not praying much about this. Weak Christians and weak churches pray little, but strong ones pray much and with fervor. That's a biblical fact. Thus the need for all prayer, always in prayer and supplication. What's the point? Very clear, right? Pray. Pray more. Pray all the time. Pray as much as you can. And pray for everyone around you. Pray all kinds of prayers. Public, private, verbal, silent, loud, soft, deliberate, planned, unplanned, spontaneous, requests, thanks, confession, humiliation, praise, standing, kneeling, lying down, lifting up your hands, putting your hands down, and so on. Just pray and pray more. And pray all kinds of prayer expressive of every emotional attitude in every circumstance. Pray, pray, pray. How are you doing? How's your prayer life? Anybody convicted by this besides me? Right? How about this? Your prayer life is one of the best revealers of where you're at in your walk with the Lord. We need to pray more. So how were they, these Ephesian Christians, called to pray? First, look, in the Spirit. What does that mean? Some would say that it means speaking in tongues. But please notice that it doesn't mention tongues here at all. Instead, praying in the Spirit means praying in harmony with the Holy Spirit. Praying consistently with the mind and will of the Spirit. See, this doesn't refer to the words that we're saying, but instead it refers to how we're praying. Are we praying in accord with the Spirit's leading? Are we praying for things that the Spirit leads us to pray for? That's what this is talking about here, praying in the power of the Spirit and by the leading of the Spirit and according to His good will. As one noted, praying in the Spirit simply means praying in perfect harmony and perfect accord with the mind of the Spirit of God and the will of God. I believe this is what John addresses in 1 John 5.14 when he says, if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And then verse 15, and we know that He hears us whenever we ask we, uh, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. In other words, we get what we ask. And we look at this and say, yes, I love that verse right there. Right? That means that when I ask God for 
money or things or respite from my suffering or a life of ease. I get it, right? That's what it means, right? No. (laughs) We don't get everything we ask, even when those things might seem good to us, if they aren't according to the will of God. And I believe according to the will of God and in the Spirit are talking about the same thing. Here's the problem. I know what His will is generally for me. That's clear as I read my Bible and see what He says. It's true for all of us, right? As believers, as His children, His will for me is to flee sin, to pursue holiness, to to share my faith, to shine His light, and to pray much, and to guard my heart from idols, and so on and so on, which is clearly scriptural truth for every believer. But what about the other things like healing someone, or big decisions that I need to make, or little decisions that aren't so clear in Scripture? What then? I don't know. (laughs) Therefore, I pray. Right? And then I leave those things to God. Oh yes, I can try to understand some of those things, but even Jesus himself prayed, Lord, take this cup away from me, but not my will, but your will be done. So ultimately, I leave all that to the Lord and I keep on praying. And then I just trust that if my prayer doesn't get answered the way that I want, then it wasn't God's will or according to the Spirit of God. But my call is to keep praying and to just trust the Lord with that. So I ask, yes, I ask, Lord, heal that person. Cure that person. I ask, but then I have to say, not my will, but yours be done. Now, I don't think you have to say that every time you pray for something, but you have to understand it. You have to believe that. So I pray and pray and pray, and then I I leave it in the hands of my God whom I trust. It's not always clear what the will of God is or what exactly is in accordance with the Spirit. I mean, if I had been the Apostle John... I would have prayed for God to spare my brother James, wouldn't you? Spare him, Lord. James was one of the inner circle of three disciples who were especially close to Jesus. He was a great man of God, and yet look, God permitted Herod to put James to death. So the people prayed for James to live, and he died, but they still needed to pray, right? And they still needed to trust him. Around the same time, Peter was put into prison And he too was going to die, but the people prayed, and what happened? God sent his angel to deliver Peter from the same fate. So the people prayed, and God's will was for James to die, and his will was for Peter to live. And the people's call is to always be praying, and then to trust the Lord with the rest. He knows what he's doing. Trust him. It was James' time. God called him home. So look, God promises to grant our request when we ask according to His will and in the Spirit, but it's not a simple name it and claim it thing, not at all. God's will is that His kingdom will come, and yet the outworking of His will involves thousands of years and many setbacks, and we're called to persevere in prayer even when we don't understand God's will or His ways. So we need to pray for things we know God wills and desires for us, absolutely pray that for Yourself, pray that for each other, our, our virtue, our holiness, our strength, our spiritual maturity, our, our usefulness, our service, a, a deepening of our love for Christ, and, and pray all those things. And then pray for the other things, right? And then, you know, the little things. Where does God want me to move? What house does He want me to buy? <laughs> what am I supposed to do in this situation that may not be crystal clear? What do I do? We pray, and then we give it to God, and then we trust Him with the outcome, whatever that may be, may be, knowing that He knows. 
Second, the Ephesians were called to pray watchfully, in the spirit and then watchfully. It's a great word in the Greek, agrupneo. The word literally means without sleep. Isn't that interesting? To chase sleep away, to pass a sleepless night, and to suffer from insomnia. The present tense of the word calls for this to be the believer's lifestyle. To always be praying in this manner. To be continually on standby alert as you pray. To keep your spiritual eyes open because the enemy may assault you at any time. And so you must never sleep when it comes to prayer. Never. What a picture. Do you pray like that? Of course we have to sleep, but you know what I'm, you know the point, right? Do you really pray like that? The word suggests intense, unremitting, constant watchfulness all the time. See, no soldier can afford to close his eyes to the enemy. And prayer is a way that you stand on high alert. And the more, the better. I don't think we pray enough. We are lazy, generally speaking. It's not an indictment. It's just a general observation. We are easily discouraged and not persistent enough in prayer. Jesus prayed all night and we can't even pray for an hour. You see the problem? We say we love the Lord and we can't even commune with Him in prayer for more than five minutes at a time. You see the problem? We are spiritually flabby. Our our spiritual knees aren't calloused enough. We watch too much TV. We hold too tightly to the cares of this world that entertain us. It's no wonder we are so weak, generally speaking. So this is a a good word for all of us. It's a good word for me. It's a good word for all of us. We need to pray more. We need to be much more watchful in our prayers. Third, the Ephesians were called to pray with perseverance and supplication for all the saints, verse 18. Perseverance means to continually do something with intense effort and despite great difficulty. The word speaks of devotion, of keeping on, of persisting in, and of being earnest at what? Prayer. The word really describes an obstinate persistence, a a spirit that doesn't faint, and a constant diligence to praying. Do you pray like that? (laughs) In Luke 18, Jesus tells a parable of the persistent widow. The widow demanded justice from the judge, so she persistently came to him, knocking on his door. Get justice for me from my adversary. She continues to do that. At first he said no, but then later on he said, because this widow troubles me, nags me so much, I will avenge her. That is a parable on prayer. Persistent and persevering prayer. And the point is this, if a bad judge did that for the widow, how much more will God do that for those that he loves? Right? The judge was unloving, evil, ungracious, merciless, and unjust. But God is loving and good and gracious and infinitely mercy and always just. The widow in the parable was nameless and insignificant. But as Christians, we are God's very own children, his bride whom he laid down his life for to save. And the simple point is this. How much more us, whose heartfelt prayers are sweet to the ears of God. So many people are messed up about prayer. I've heard it all. I've heard people say that prayer doesn't really do anything at all. And the only reason we pray is to talk to God because it makes us feel better about things. But prayer is much more than that, biblically speaking. On the other extreme, I read in a very popular book on prayer that said that God's hands are tied. He can't do anything 
until we pray and release God to move and to act. And until we pray, God can't do anything. That's heresy. What a lie. I read another book that, God, that said that God collects our prayers in a big heavenly bucket. And only when that bucket is filled up can God then act and answer our prayers. Now, all those are unbiblical. All those are clearly wrong. But the truth is this. God sovereignly chooses to work through the prayers of His people. And heartfelt prayer, passionate prayer, persistent prayer, much prayer is better. So, when is the last time you agonized in prayer about something for someone, about your sin issue, or something else? I mean, really agonized in prayer. I've heard it more than once. This sin... This sin has a hold on me. I can't shake it. I can't, I can't overcome. Okay, well, are you, are you fervently praying against that sin? I mean, there's other things, right? But, but are you fervently praying against that sin for help and for victory? Are, are you passionately praying about that? No, 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 no. I'm not praying like I ought. Well, then stop complaining about it. Because you're proving by your lack of prayer, that you don't really want victory over that sin because your weak prayer life proves it, see? The call isn't to be weak and passionate, passionless and mediocre and lazy, no. The call is to be relentless, persistent, sleepless, obstinate, and persistent in prayer. That's the call. And also, look, supplication for all the saints. So we're to always be praying for each other's needs, and again, we are needy. Think about this. If you really love someone... Is there anything better that you can do for them than to pray for them? I mean, think about that. Than to go before God, the Lord God Almighty, for them and for their needs. That's called intercessory prayer when you intercede for other people and go to God with their need. And that's a real labor of love. It's not easy. What does it say when you really pour out your heart to God for others? Hey, if you love me, you'll pray for me. If I love you, I will pray for you. Is that convicting or what? It's true. Think about it. If you're on the battlefield and your fellow soldiers get shot, you're in big trouble, right? That's why we need to be praying for each other. Because we're not Christians in isolation. No, we're family and we're in fellowship with one another. And if one member hurts, then the whole body hurts. And so we need to be praying for each other so that we can all be strong together in this spiritual epic battle that we are in. We're not alone, no. And the stronger you are, that's going to help me to be stronger too. And prayer is vital in this. So pray for our church. Pray for one another. Pray for the many needs that are here. Pray for the leadership. Pray, 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 and then pray some more. Please. Please. So Paul says to pray for each other, for all the saints, and then he says to pray for him. How wise is Paul? Right? Pray for me. Paul knows the power of prayer, and so he has no problem asking other people to pray for him. I'm going to take this opportunity right now to ask you all to pray for me. Please. I could use it. I need prayer. We all do. I know that. But I need it too. This is a great opportunity to ask you to pray for me. Pray. Much. I need prayer. And the more prayer, the better. Spurgeon was once asked the secret of his great success. He replied simply with these words. My people pray for me. 
I'm no Spurgeon. Thus the need for more prayer. <laughs> See? Look, and pray for me, verse 19. Pray, pray what for Paul? Two things specifically. First, Paul asked them to pray for boldness for Paul to share the gospel. That utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So what is Paul asking prayer for here? He's asking for prayer that he would have opportunity to boldly proclaim the gospel of Christ. Note that he didn't ask for prayer for prosperity or for earthly success or for any other kind of worldly ambition or even for release from prison. No, he asked them to pray that when he opened his mouth, that the truth of God and the glory of the gospel would come out boldly. Note that he asked this while he's still in prison in Rome. Think about that. And the reason that he was in prison is because he proclaimed the gospel boldly to people. How ironic. But he knows that this is what God calls him to do. And so he asked for more opportunities to proclaim the truth of God and that he wouldn't hold back when those opportunities came. What a great prayer. Note that that phrase, the mystery of the gospel, doesn't mean that it's a hidden secret, but rather that it's a divinely revealed truth. So Paul's asking for prayer, for boldness, as he proclaimed this revealed mystery, and also that the hearts of the people that he proclaimed the gospel to would be opened up, that God would work mightily as he proclaimed the truth. We say, but Paul was already bold. Right? I mean, Paul Paul was bold. Absolutely he was bold. Why do you think he was so bold? I think prayer was a big part of it. Do bold people need prayer to be bold? Yes! We all need prayer for everything. (laughs) All the time. So, good prayer request, Paul. What else did Paul ask the Ephesian Christians to pray for? That Paul would be a good ambassador for Christ. Verse 20. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. This is really a prayer for the same thing, boldness in fulfilling his calling and sharing the the good news of Christ. But that word ambassador stands out. See, Paul sees himself as an ambassador and he wants to be a good ambassador. And so he asks prayer to be a good, bold, faithful ambassador, even though he's still in chains. Now, an ambassador was a person who served in a foreign country and uh, as a representative for the king of his own country. An ambassador doesn't speak to please his audience, no, but he speaks to please the king who sent him. An ambassador doesn't speak on his own authority, no, his own opinion or demands mean very little. But instead, an ambassador simply says what he's been commissioned to say. And please note that an ambassador is more than a messenger, he's also a representative. And the honor and the reputation of his country are in the ambassador's hands. Guess what? Spiritually speaking... Paul sees himself as an ambassador of Christ, and his one aim is to represent Christ well while he is here. So pray for me, he says, that I would represent Christ well and say what he wants me to say and say it boldly and say it fervently and say it passionately regardless of these chains. And that's a great thing to pray for. Note this. All Christians are ambassadors. We are all representatives of Christ. And the call is to represent him well and to represent his message well. And that's something to pray for, right? That's something to pray for for each other and for ourselves. We in Christ are citizens of heaven living in a foreign land. And we are called to represent our king to this dying and lost world. 
We are called to represent Him well by what we say and by what we do. We are called to speak the words that He would have us speak to those who are dying in their sin all around us. And we are called to live the way that He would have us live so that when people see us, they get a clear picture of Christ. Is that true of you? What kind of ambassador are you? What kind of ambassador am I? Look, when Jesus was ministering here in the flesh, he spoke the truth, he sought out the lost, he had compassion on sinners, he went to the needy, both spiritually and physically, he spoke out against hypocrisy and sinful behavior by those who knew better, and he had a mission to seek and to save the lost. Well, we are his representatives, and representing him well is something for us to pray fervently about. J.C. Ryle says that a Christian should be both a magnet and a diamond. A magnet in drawing others to Christ, a diamond in casting a sparkling luster of holiness in his life. Oh, let us be so just in our dealings, so true in our promises, so devout in our worship, so unblameable in our lives that we may be the walking pictures of Christ. I say amen to that. And the goal is to represent him well in our lives, as Ryle says here, and then also in our words so that the truth can go out and not return void on the souls of the many lost people who surround us. That's what Paul asked for prayer for here for these Ephesians. And that's something that every Christian should be asking prayer for and be praying about for each other. So here's the verdict. You ready? Pray. Pray more. Pray more fervently. Pray more passionately. Pray more violently. Pray for each other. Pray for me. Pray, pray, pray. This is what completes our spiritual armor. This is what should permeate our lives. This is something that Satan, the wicked enemy of our soul, hates. So, let's get to it. Anybody? Come on. Let's get to it. Satan hates it and God loves it. Let's get to it. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us, Lord, to be a praying church. Help us as individuals to be a praying people. I pray that we would be convicted to go before you with our love and our adoration and our confession and also with our supplication and that we would pray much for each other because we are a needy people. Help us all to put on the spiritual armor every day or just to put it on and to never take it off. And I pray that prayer would permeate all of that and that you would use us in a mighty way to assault the wicked enemy of our souls. May we be a stronghold for you here and may we encourage one another and pray much for each other. Use us, we pray, and bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.